Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the last Singapore Perspectives was held a year ago at about this time, just a little before the pandemic struck. What a difference that year has made. The past is a different country, they say, and indeed from the vantage point of today, January 2020, barely a year ago, does feel like it was a different country. I'm not a scholar of crisis or of anything in particular for that matter. I speak as a practitioner. I have happened to have been involved in the management of this crisis as a civil servant. From that vantage point, it appears to me there are three stages in a crisis, or more accurately, three stages in public perceptions in a crisis, especially prolonged crises like those caused by war or pandemics. In the first stage, unless societies collapse catastrophically, as the allied European countries did in the, during the blitzkrieg of 1940, if they don't collapse catastrophically, in the first stage, you often find societies rallying round the flag, as it were. And indeed, in the COVID-19 crisis, when it first strike, approval ratings of most governments around the world went up. It didn't seem to matter if the governments were handling the crisis well or not. In Britain and the US, it's difficult to remember this, where the crisis was most assuredly not being handled well, as much as in New Zealand and South Korea, where the crisis was handled well, if not with considerable aplomb, government's approval ratings went up. That is an inevitable flight to safety in a crisis, a preference for authority, for government, a rallying round the flag. In the second stage, again, if the country hasn't collapsed in the meantime, people become more acutely aware of their vulnerabilities. The crisis would have surfaced shortcomings. What were barely visible fractures before become pronounced chasms in upheaval. What wasn't acknowledged or suppressed before become loudly underlined. I don't need to describe how the second stage played out elsewhere in the world. The events of the past fortnight in the United States alone tell a grim tale. We discovered our own vulnerabilities in Singapore too. In the early stages of the crisis, especially in the months of April, May and June last year, when borders were being closed and supply chains buckled, I recall my colleagues in the economic agencies spending sleepless nights worrying about our supplies of everything, from food to toilet paper. I remember, I don't know whether you remember toilet paper. We realized what we always knew, or rather learned again, acutely and with painful shock, the obvious, that Singapore was dependent on the rest of the world for almost everything. No man is an island entire of itself. It's a famous line, John Donne. Actually, no island is an island entire of itself. Every island is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And no island is more a part of the main than Singapore. That is at once our strength and our deepest, most crippling vulnerability. We discovered other socioeconomic vulnerabilities too, some of which various speakers at this conference have touched upon. I'll list briefly here just a couple of the more obvious. One, 
Our idea of what constitutes essential work, essential workers, needs to be drastically re-examined. In the crisis that we are still navigating, the essential worker was not the financier or hedge fund manager or the high-priced corporate chieftain. It was the nurse and sanitation worker. It was the truck driver driving across the causeway, bringing eggs and vegetables. It was the migrant worker who cleaned our streets, trimmed our trees, maintained the accoutrements of our civilization. The simple ethical question we need to ask of ourselves is this. Do we treat our essential workers well, fairly, justly? Are we doing right by them? When the crisis is over, will we remember what we owe to the nurses who got us through, the swabbers who sobbed you this morning, the migrant workers who bore the brunt of the pandemic outbreak? Will we remember? Another closely related vulnerability is this. It's the least in society who suffered the most in this crisis, not only here, but everywhere. It's the children in low SES families who fell behind the most as school closed and we had home-based learning. It's the low-income, low-skilled who lost more proportionately than the high-income, high-skilled. Indeed, many high-income, high-skilled benefited from the crisis. Just take a look at the equity markets. The stock prices of big tech companies have been breaking records for months through this pandemic. Google, Amazon, Apple, they are now all companies with market caps in excess of US $1 trillion. It's horrifying, if not obscene, but there you have it. To those who have, more was given, and those who had not, even the little they had was taken away. And finally, in the third stage, assuming the country has what it takes, the gumption to face squarely the vulnerabilities the crisis has surfaced, we have hope. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Some of you here of my generation, I don't see that many, but you might remember this 1977 Fleetwood Mac song. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop, it'll soon be here. It'll be better than before. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. President Joseph Biden gave voice to the same sentiment in his inauguration speech last week, quoting from Psalm 30. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. For the sake of the world, we wish him well. I digress somewhat, but the absence of hope the failure to realize that yesterday is gone explains one of the strangest episodes in political history. The electoral defeat of Winston Churchill suffered in 1945 after having led his country to victory in World War II. His personal popularity was undimmed. Indeed, his stock, both at home and abroad, was stratospheric. And yet, in the British general election of 1945, he and his conservative party were massively defeated by his wartime coalition partner, Clement Attlee and the Labour Party. Churchill was about yesterday. The Labour Party was about tomorrow. We here in Singapore have spoken of emerging stronger from this crisis. It is not a matter of this or that program as important as it is to plan. It is above all a matter of giving hope, of infusing in people's hearts and minds that tomorrow's here that morning cometh.
And indeed, we are a people who have, for much of our history, lived with the future in our bones. I've written elsewhere that Singapore has for long ex existed in the optative mode, that strange tense which speaks of tomorrow as though it were now. In part, this arises from the circumstances of our birth. You cannot look back on August 9th as a long sought-for moment, unlike August 15th for the Indians or October 1st for the Chinese. Mr. Lee Kuan Yew cried in sorrow on August 9th. Our true moment of founding came the day after, on August 10, when we picked ourselves up, dusted off the detritus of merger, and didn't stop thinking about tomorrow. If you looked at the publications of the late 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, even up to the 1990s, you'd notice the number of titles with tomorrow or next or new or simply future. Even now, we remain rightly, I think, enamored with future, for example, as in skills future. The moment we stop looking forward to tomorrow, we are finished. The antiquarian spirit will be our kiss of death. We can only remain vital if we feel in our bones that we are still unfinished, not yet fully formed, a work in progress. The moment we feel we have arrived, we will turn decadent, we'll be done for. And this thinking about tomorrow cannot be restricted solely to the government or even more broadly to the political class. That would be very yesterday indeed. Thinking about tomorrow should, must, encompass all of us, and not only the young, but also the old, the universities and research institutions, as well as the NGOs and grassroots organizations, employers and corporations, as well as the trades unions. Thus, the theme of this conference, Reset, and thus the 18-month project IPS is embarking on, of which this, crisis, this conference is a part of. Reimagining Singapore 2030. My colleague Christopher Gee will talk about this in a little while. I think these should be our watchwords reimagine, renewal, renaissance. Not forgetting remembering, for this is how we have always emerged from crises by never stopping to think about tomorrow. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>